time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Christine Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 62 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Colombia. It's Colombian. It's strong because we're recording on a Monday morning. It was a very early morning. Very early morning, but we needed to meet with a very important guest that's coming yes, up. So worth it. So worth it. We're so excited. Can't wait to share it with you in about a month. Right, about a month. So are we ready to sip our second or third cup of coffee <laughs> and chat? Yes, we are. So how are you feeling? I think you have it again. I do. It was like we were in the calm before the storm and the COVID has circled back around. Yeah, I feel okay. Ella's home from school today because she has had a headache for the last 24 plus hours. Yeah. By the time I left here Friday after we recorded, I crashed hard. Yeah. And have been not feeling well all weekend. I'm feeling better today, but clearly my voice is not, so no. sorry. We're just going to have to muddle through this one, too. Yeah, your poor voice. I'm struggling to get myself back up and going, but yeah. I am. Thank God. My voice hasn't crashed also, or we right. would be in trouble. One of us has to have a full voice. One of us has to have a full voice. So you've been taking it easy? Pretty much. I felt so lousy all weekend. Literally, all I did this weekend was go out, take care of the animals, go back in, work on research for the show. Go back out, take care of the animals. Yeah. I took a little walk around the farm, which was nice. The snowdrops are coming up. I love snowdrops. Yeah. So that made me smile. Other than that, just trudging through. Exactly. We had a good weekend. We ran some errands as a family, and we were able to go to the diner for the first time nice. in months. Nice. And get some dinner together. And then yesterday, I did go out with Joe. We had a date day. Oh. Yes. We went to a little get-together for his work. Nice. So that was nice to get out. But Talk to adults for a while. Yeah, just for a few hours. But it was like Monday morning, that alarm, 5 a.m., <laughs> But I get up that time almost every morning yeah. anyway. I mean, a little later to get the girls off to school. Right. But poor Ella. I keep telling her, I'm like, if this headache is on through today, you're going to get retested. Yeah. And thank goodness for ordering multiple tests over right? the last month because I, I don't want to get too. stuck again. I did it too. Yeah. Order them from Amazon to make sure we have them on hand. Yeah, and if, if you're in the U.S., there is a website where you can go and get four tests for your house. It's through the Postal Service right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so check it out because those tests come in handy. They do. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, but it's warmer today. I'm excited about that. We're above freezing. The sun is out. It's nice. Joe and I were talking last night when we went out. It was like 37 degrees and we drove a little south. Uh -huh. So it was 42 degrees there. Ooh. And we were like, this is balming. And, and then we came and we're like, it's all relative. When you're used to 12 degrees and then it's 40. Right. You're like, put on the shorts. Well, that's acclimation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. There's a certain temperature range within which you can adjust pretty well. Yeah. It is a real thing. We talk about acclimation with chickens. It's not as narrow as people think. Right. But acclimation is a real thing. It's important. I think that we should address something just quickly before we move on. Absolutely. You probably know what I'm going to talk about. There are three confirmed cases of the avian flu in North Carolina and South Carolina. North and South Carolina, that's right. So what we want to just say is this is not a time to panic. 
Right. This is a time just to prepare and know what you need to do. Exactly. So we're going to put a couple of links in the show notes for this episode. The first is a link to the USDA page where highly pathogenic avian influenza cases are listed. We will link that so you can go right there to see the confirmed cases. You can see when they were confirmed, where they were confirmed, and what type of wild bird. Right. And right now there's three. It's three wild ducks. Exactly. There's probably something similar for Canada. Right. I know there have been two cases in Canada as well. So the two things to keep in mind here. The first is that this is a highly pathogenic strain. Right. So at some point, we may have to take measures. To protect our flock. Exactly. So what you can do right now is you can learn about the disease and you can prepare for it. Right. So let's take everybody back to episode 15. Yes. Where we talked to Fiona mm-hmm. over in the UK, who has had this in her backyard many times. Yes. In which we talk about avian flu, what it is, how to prepare, and things that you can do to prepare. Number one, it's in waterfowl right now. It's in waterfowl. It can go through all migratory birds. Waterfowl do seem to be the main carriers right, right. now. The things to know are that the disease is transmitted in three ways. Through poop. Feces, feathers, and body fluids. Yes. So you don't want wild birds of any type able to access the food and water for your chickens. Yeah. And the easiest way to do that? Cover it. Cover your food and water. And cover your run. Yes. So those are two things that you can do to protect your flock. Right. Because this is a highly pathogenic strain, it moves quickly. Mm -hmm. And I believe the mortality rate is like 90%. Mm -hmm. It can kill birds within 48 hours. This is not something you have to worry about your flock like latently carrying around. No. If it's in your flock, you're probably going to know very quickly. You'll know quickly and it will affect all of them. Yes. So it's just something to be aware of. We tell you this so that you are armed with the information, not to panic, but so that you are armed with the information. And if you want to take some steps, the first ones would be covering the runs. And covering your food and water. Exactly. These are the two biggest things that you can do. Also, your birds aren't going to get it from other chickens right now at the tractor supply. Exactly. So it's all spread via wild birds, and it's spread through the ways Holly Ann said. So arming yourself by taking the measures to protect your run and your food and water. If you're, say, in the region of the Carolinas where these were outbreaks, maybe you do want to be extra careful about visiting other chicken keepers. Even more vigilant than you ordinarily would be. Right. Normal biosecurity. Normal biosecurity should always be in place. But right now, there's no need to get hysterical. Armed with the information, you can make some steps for preparation. And then we'll watch and see what happens. Yeah. And again, we'll have a link back to episode 15. And also listen to last week's episode again. The disaster preparedness, because we do talk to Fiona once again about what she does to get ready for the avian flu. So this is someone who's been getting ready for the avian flu for multiple years now and knows exactly what you need to do. Right. So we included it before all of this actually started to break in the U.S. in our emergency prep episode. So go back and re-listen and hear what she has to say about what you need to do to get ready. Yes. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email us or message us privately. We'll do what we can to help you. Definitely. Okay, so I think it's about that time we ask everybody a big favor. I know you're getting tired of us asking these big favors, but it is actually a really big favor for us, and it helps us immensely grow this podcast to bring you the best material that we can bring you. Absolutely. We work hard every week to bring you the best content we can. Yes, and this will help us. If you are listening and loving our show, 
go over to Apple Podcasts and please leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of the show, and it means the world to us. It does mean the world to us. The other way you can support the podcast, you can visit our Etsy shop, check out our t-shirts that are on sale. You can become a patron of the show. You can visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership, one of which is a free monthly episode. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of January, you can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. As a longtime subscriber, I can say that our flocks go crazy for their oven-baked grub treats. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. And all products ship free. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chicken? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products and the chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the January box, I absolutely love the Rooster Bottle Opener and the Seed Sprouting Kit. I love the Poppy Adventures book and coloring book, and the knitted headband is going to keep my ears so warm. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so now I think it's about that time on this cold, wintry Monday morning. We bring in our dun 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 bump bump spotlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's tell everybody what chicken is going to be on our breed spotlight today. The Pavlovskaya. Can you guess where this chicken is from? If you said Russia. You would be correct. You would be correct. The Pavlovskaya was a listener request from Helen. Yes, Helen. It was an excellent request. Yeah, this really is a fascinating bird. I had a great time doing the research for the Pavlovskaya. And saying it a lot. Pavlovskaya. (laughs) This is a very old breed of chicken that is endangered in essentially all parts of the world, including its native Russia. Yeah, it's very endangered. The Pavlovskaya is a small-bodied, feather-legged and footed, bearded and crested breed of chicken. It's got everything that you could want and more. It's all going on. The feathers on their legs are remarkable because they're shorter and tighter to the legs than most of the usual feather-legged breeds. I was seeing that. Yeah, so it looks a bit unusual. Most of this breed are gold or silver spangled with a black crest and black beard. Those were probably the original colors of the breed. Mm -hmm. They're very pretty. The coloring is fantastic. They're really striking. They remind me of a few of the chickens that we have just recently done on Breed Spotlight. When you look at them up. Yes. They're really cute, but I think their mohawks even spikier than some of the others. They are, yeah. There are some solid colors available, and by solid I mean non-spangled. Right. They include a white-crested black, a white-crested blue, and a white-crested white Pavlovskaya. So there's not a lot of information. What we have gleaned from the few breeders is that they're lively little chickens that are quite friendly with people. They are not great layers. 
They lay an average of 80 to 100 white or creamish eggs per year. Yeah. They go in my below average egg layer (laughs) category. And of course, that does add to the fact that they're so endangered. They're so endangered. They're little, little chickens. Mm -hmm. So they're averaging around 3.5 to 4 pounds. Yeah. And they have that V-comb. It is a small V-comb. Yeah. I think this reminded me of one of the other breeds we did recently. Small V-comb. And they have those wide nostrils. Yeah. Like the Polish and the Crevcourt. A lot about this chicken reminds me of the Breda. Yeah. And you said a lot about this chicken reminds you of... Appenzeller Spitzhaben. Yeah. It kind of has... Can we just say a European look? It's a Euro chicken. It has a spunky look to it. It does. The combs and waddles are almost invisible on the hens. Right. But you can see that V-shaped comb on the roux. Yeah, and the feet are slate colored. I love those slate colors. Yeah. They definitely are cool looking. They really are. The crest is smaller than the Polish well, crest. Well, I think every crest known to man is smaller than the Polish kind crest. Kind of. It's a mohawk like the Spitzhaben, but it's a little bigger and wider. Yeah. And it's definitely bigger than the Breda, but it has that kind of that same spiky, spiky look. It's spiky. It's spiky. They are right out of our 80 rockers. Uh, right. I can see like Sting singing with this chicken. Like, <laughs> it has a rocker look. It does. I really think they're beautiful little chickens. They're cute chickens, which makes the whole thing even more sad that you really have a hard time yeah. getting them. They are supposed to be gentle and friendly, extremely cold hardy, as you would expect. If you're from Russia, you're right? cold hardy. But they're not recognized by the APA, which is unfortunate because you don't have a breed standard to work from and the support of a showing community. They're lovely. They're very pet beautiful. Yes. Beautiful pet chickens that could show if they had some standard. Exactly. So most of what we know about this breed comes from the late 19th and early 20th century. Obviously, I don't have the run of archives in Russia to research this bird. Come on. You need to get on a plane and get over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not going to Russia. There are a whole list of reasons why I'm not going to Russia right now. So in May of 1899, there was a poultry exhibition held in St. Petersburg, Russia. Part of history is researching the context around something. So I was searching around to see what was going on in St. Petersburg at that time. And what I found was really interesting was a memo. And it was about the poultry competition. Okay. And it was in the 1899 consular report from our State Department's Bureau of Foreign Commerce. Okay. Essentially, the department had received a note from the Russian ambassador, and the note said that there was an open competition at this exhibition of poultry incubators. Okay. And anyone could enter. Hmm. I just thought that was an interesting thing. You know, this is in St. Petersburg, Russia, and they're sending notes to To governments saying anyone who has been working on technology with incubators can enter. That's pretty cool. This exhibition is important because it's one of the few documented appearances of the Pavlovskaya. That suggests that at one time the breed was quite popular in continental Europe and did have a breed standard at that point. Yeah. Like a lot of older breeds, there's a local legend that this chicken is a cross between a chicken and a grouse. Okay. But that is only a myth. In the 1911 edition of Wright's Book of Poultry, poultry historian Lewis Wright includes a few paragraphs on the Pavlovskaya. He spells it differently. He spells it P-A-V-L-O-F-F, Pavlov. Uh Uh-huh. He also notes that the breed was at this exhibition in 1899 in St. Petersburg, and he goes on to record his thoughts about it. He says that there were quite a few of these Pavlovs exhibited by both Russians and Germans. Okay. And at the time, they believed that the Pavlovskaya could be a possible foundation breed of the Polish. I can see that. But Lewis Wright does not seem to agree, and he points out several differences between them. 
okay, there are going to be differences. Absolutely. Because they're different exactly, chickens. Exactly, right. But that does not mean that a chicken can't be part of a foundation breed. They're, right. The chicken has a crest. Well, I suppose unless you did genetic research, there's no reason to discount it. You can't discount they it. They certainly do have some things in common. They definitely do. Honestly, the little heads and faces remind me of a Polish. Right, and they have that same nostrils, they have the V-shaped comb, and some of the same color groupings, like the white-crested blue and white-crested black. They're like the Polish that got a neat little bang cut or something. (laughs) God. (laughs) Serious. Sometimes I think these writers from way back, they were just looking for some way to disagree. Well, I got to tell you, when people get all worked up about what they call revisionist history, I laugh. (laughs) Because all history is revised constantly as we discover new information. So. Lewis Wright wrote all these things from his perspective. Lewis Wright goes on to relate some information he got from a Russian man, Mr. Haudikoff, that the Pavlovskaya's got their name because they were bred primarily at Pavlovsk or Pavlovo in the Nizhny Novgorod region. Okay. It's a large city that was founded in the 13th century on the Volga River. Okay. And there's another legend there. The story goes that they were introduced to this area by the Empress Catherine II. Okay. So that would have been in the 18th century, the 1700s, that these were some of her royal poultry, which I could see. Yeah. Soon after this information that Lewis Wright talks about, the show in St. Petersburg, the Pavlovskaya essentially disappears from worldview. Right. The First World War, the Russian Revolution in 1917, and then the formation of the Soviet Union in 1922. All the same stuff we talk about yeah, with every chicken. They all help to obscure it. And then World War II and the Cold War further buried this chicken in obscurity. People trying to survive don't carry on with things that are sometimes a luxury. Well, and I think you probably see the same thing in the Soviet Union. They were probably importing hybrids, more efficient layers. Yeah, exactly. People did not have the time to maintain poultry the way they exactly. used to. I mean, sometimes people are going to look at, oh, well, in order to have a backyard flock, it's kind of a luxury. Right. It is and it isn't. It's hard work. I wouldn't classify that as a luxury. I would no. classify that as a priority, putting something as a priority. Absolutely. After World Wars... And government destruction, the priority is staying alive. So that's why we see the same old story a lot in the breed spotlights as right. the chickens disappeared after the world war. Exactly. But maybe life behind the Iron Curtain wasn't so different in some ways, because by the 1980s, there were people in Russia trying to reestablish the breed. People never cease to amaze me. They have that part in them for animals. It's down deep in some people, yeah. and some people it isn't. That light that says we need to save these animals, that compassion. I absolutely agree with you. And furthermore, I have, this is just my own wacky theory. I feel like the animals that have changed through domestication, the animals that have lived with us for thousands of years, horses, dogs, cats, Mm -hmm. chickens, sheep, llamas, Mm -hmm. we have a very deep connection with them. Yeah. And they can bond with us in amazing ways. Sometimes it's buried. And sometimes life happens with some people. And priorities get shifted around. But the good in people does make me feel enlightened. Yeah, people are very resilient. They will say, oh, shoot, what happened to this chicken? And then come back and say, well, we only have maybe two roosters left. Well, that's what happened. So people got interested in the 80s. And then through the 90s, a lot of these people who were trying to reestablish the breed were working with some of the science and academic research centers Mm -hmm. in the Soviet Union. And like you said, I've seen some different numbers, but the one we most frequently see is that there were two roosters left. We always see that. Two roosters. 
There weren't any hens that they thought were purebred, but they did find some hens out in countryside that they thought contained enough of it, enough of the DNA. Yeah. So they bred these to the rooster. So they had to do some very careful outcrossing to these country birds that they thought contained some of the Pavlovsky DNA. So let's fast forward to 2000, be 11-ish. Yes. Okay. And let's look at Green Fire Farms. Uh-huh. They took in the most important, at that point, challenging importation. Right. That's a, those are their words. It, this was their most challenging importation to date. They brought a group of breeding Pavlovskayas to the U.S. Yes. And Pavlovskaya is currently available from Green Fire Farm and just a couple of other breeders in the U.S. Here's the thing. You're going to pay for this Oh, yes, chicken. you are. Not only are you going to pay for this chicken. You could pay for a boy. Well, you, they're straight rotten. <laughs> because they lay so infrequently, they say that you can wait sometimes up to seven months yeah. on your chicks being yeah. hatched. And what do you pay per chick? $99 for this chicken. To me, it's not a lot because right. I love chickens. Right. Some people can pay thousands of dollars for a dog. I actually don't blink at the prices of chickens no. either. No. To some people who are used to paying two and three ninety nine for right. their chicken, right. they're really going to blink. But to know the history of this chicken, where this chicken's come from, yeah. where it's going, the fact that you could be saving an endangered breed, $99 is not bad. A lot of the work has been done. We go back to those two roosters. You had a serious genetic bottleneck there that required really careful breeding to get yeah. through. And here you have Greenfire Farm and a couple of other farms in the U.S. that have got some stock for you. And here's the other thing. It took probably an immense amount to get them over here and an immense expense. Probably. So yeah. you're going to have to pay back in that a little Absolutely. bit to get this chicken. Is this chicken worth it to add to your backyard flock? For sure. And you need to be working with the breeds and maybe even form a club to try to present a standard of perfection to right. the APA. To then try you can to start showing them. APA recognized. They are beautiful, friendly birds. We did find D.C. Heritage Poultry in Canada. They do have the Pavlovskaya. Right. Greenfire Farm has them here. Straight run, of course. Well, because Straight they run. need to be bred. They need to be bred. They're small. I don't know how easy it is to sex them. There are two other farms in the U.S. that I, had them. You can find them on a Google search. Again, D.C. Heritage Poultry in Canada. I did not find any place in the U.K. or Australia. I didn't spend that much time looking. I just did a quick Google search. Yeah. No hints. So that is the very rare and very beautiful Pavlovskaya. Check it out. Google the chicken so that mm -hmm. you can see these pictures and see what we're they talking about. They are just the most unusual little chickens. They're so cute. They really are. But all chickens are cute, aren't they, really? Especially okay. ones with beards and muffs like that. And a mohawk. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so now it's about that time for our round table of the month, and we all know where we go. We go across the pond to have coffee, coffee with Fiona. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so my yeah is going to come out after We try to do it together every delay. time. I know. But the Zoom delay gets us and I tell every you, time. That's one of Pete's favorite parts of the round table. <laughs> he loves what we attempt to sing in unison. Yeah. Zoom does not allow you to sing in unison. No. We've learned this. Yeah. Okay. So hello, Miss Fiona. How are you doing this week? 
Well, we've still got avian flu over here, so they're still in their enclosure. But yeah, they're they're really, really happy. They're flying, they're jumping, they're perching, they're having a lot of fun. So it's really nice having an enclosure big enough that you can actually see them launch themselves running from one end to the other. I had um, actually Frankie, our current oldest chicken flying up in the air and launching herself probably halfway down the enclosure a good sort of 11 or 12 meters to get to me earlier on today it was lovely to see yeah that's That's great i love watching your leg bars your leg i love leg bars in general they're just these dainty little chickens but they're so funny i just love them yeah if you have not seen fiona's instagram page the floof lady and her amazing videos of her beautiful chickens check it out check her out on instagram give her a follow the only thing is that i'm completely obsessed with taking slow motion video of the cream leg bars at the moment flying and the one i got (laughs) a custard the other day with that giant comb she's got flopping over her eye so I'm just completely obsessed. So funny because <laughs> Holly, her little baby has a big comb, but my Cornelia and Peggy have these, they're not as floppy, but they're like rigid combs for the leg bars. They like go in and out and in and out, but they're not super floppy. My two girls, Beatrix Potter has that enormous yeah. floppy bit. And then my other leg bar is Frances Hodgson Burnett. And Franny has a <laughs> tiny comb. <laughs> I want two of my favorite kids authors for those girls. But Franny has a tiny comb. There's so much variation in the leg bars. There so is. Yeah. Yeah. Boobob has a very small comb, but it's very rigid and yeah. it's ever so pretty. But Brambles is the tiniest. But then Bramble, I don't think that she's actually a purebred cream leg bar. She's actually more gray on her collar rather than cream. But she's okay. so sweet. And she she's the one with the wonky beak as well. Oh, oh wow. right. Okay. Okay. They're the sweetest little chickens. They are so love sweet. Them. I love watching Except them. every single night, Bramble goes into the Orpington coop. I have to try <laughs> and guard the coop to stop her going in there. But tonight I was late. So obviously I had to go and scoop her out. Unfortunately, I managed to almost drag Frankie out of the door at the same time. So <laughs> poor little Frankie was wondering, what on earth is going Aww. on? Yeah, I think she's probably smart. She's figured out that the Orpingtons are the, you know, the warm spot to sleep. You want to sleep with the Orpingtons? They're so yeah. cushy. She's got two well summers to sleep under. Uh, she she takes pole position in the nest box <laughs> with the two well summers. She's absolutely fine in the other coop. But for some okay. reason, I think it's because the Orpington roosters are in the other coop and she wants to be with the boys. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. She's yeah. going crazy. Yeah. She's a teenager. She's going through that change at the moment. She's, she's just about to start laying. So she's okay. a bit hormonal. Well, text me or something. So we're going to talk about the other end of the spectrum today. Yeah. We're going to talk about aging hens and geriatric chickens. Which more and more is an issue because the more the chickens are companions and pets, We are taking better and better care of these chickens, and they're growing older. And it's a really good thing, and I love that we get to talk about it. It's an amazing thing to have to worry about. Yeah, I've been, in recent years, keeping my hens longer as well. So rather than selling them at the end of year two or year three, if they're proven broodies, I'll keep them longer and just allow them to brood every year. Because if you know they're good at brooding... I actually came to the conclusion, why would I sell them? Because they're great at raising chicks. I know they're great with the chicks. Yeah, so that's my question. So I'm going to keep them on. 
What's the oldest you've had some, I'm assuming it was probably Gannett. What's the it oldest was Janet, you've had a yeah. hand brooding? Well, she brooded when she was seven years old. And unfortunately, she didn't actually start to brood in her last year. But I think it was the time of year, year seven, strangely, the most prevalent time for brooding is spring. But you can get a second brood in autumn with, so our Orpingtons, probably about 60, 70% of them will brood in spring. And then half of those will brood again in autumn. Okay. With Gannett, she was both seasons the whole time. And we expected as she got older that she'd continue with the spring brood if she was going to brood. But she did it the other way. She actually, in year seven, didn't brood in spring. And I thought, that's it. She's done. She's not going to brood for us anymore. But she was a a well-loved pet by that stage. Right. Um, But then actually it it got to autumn and she fell broody. But unfortunately, I didn't want to give her chicks in autumn because with her being eight years old, And all the things we're going to talk about tonight, I was a little bit concerned about her health going into winter because it is more of a concern when they're they're older. And I didn't want to be leaving small chicks with no brood hens. So, you know, I, I decided actually to let her go through the brood process and then put her back with the other hens. Yeah, it's hard. So she brooded without a clutch, basically. Right, right. I have two Buff Orpingtons that are six going on. They're going to be seven in a few months. They're still and they're going gorgeous. Oh, they're thank gorgeous. you. They Bubbles are. and Buttercup. And neither of them out of the four that I had originally gotten are the broody ones. They've never really been into That's broody. true. They were the sort of wow. maiden aunties that hung out with the broody hands. Yes. But that may be why they've become so much older as well, because brooding takes a big toll on their bodies, as you know, because actually sitting there for three full weeks, not eating as much, does take a huge toll on their bodies. So it's possibly why. I mean, Gannett was amazing to get through to eight years old, to be quite frank. Yeah. So, yeah, we all have geriatric chickens. What are the things we should look for in taking care of them? Because there is going to be a shift. Just as right. if people have geriatric cats and dogs, geriatric yeah. chickens are going to need a little bit more care. Yeah. So one thing is, and we've noted this, is geriatric chickens, just because we're in winter now, they may need some heat. Yes. 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 So right now, my oldest hen is Pansy, one of my Swedish flowers. Pansy is definitely feeling the cold. We are in a cold snap right now. So our You've got ridiculously low temperatures compared yes. to us over here in the UK. Yeah, we're in the single digit Fahrenheit range at night right now. And so we did put a radiant panel heater in the coop. The other problem with that coop is it's a good sized coop and I'm down to six hens in there. Yeah. Those two things together, I think Pansy's really feeling the cold. I mean, there are all sorts of factors, aren't there? It's the type of chickens you've got, the age of the chickens as well. Because as you say, if they're older, they're more likely to need the heat. If they're heavily feathered or light feathered, will dictate whether you need the the heat. What type of coop you've got as well. If you've got a large number of chickens in a small coop, you're less likely to need it. If you've got an old garden shed, which you've converted in three chickens, you are more likely to need heat. So there's all sorts of factors. There's yeah. lots of factors. And geriatric is definitely one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not a coop that I've ever had a heat source in because it's Brahma's and Swedish flowers. There's never, and one Dominique, there's never a need to put any heat in there, but she's definitely feeling it. 
My Swedish flower rooster is the same age, going on seven, and he's in an igloo, and they don't need heat unless, because it's two big size chickens yes. in an igloo coop, which is super insulated. So they've only gotten a heat source at the very, very coldest point. So what we're doing is we watch the senior chickens to see yes. how they're handling the cold. And you can tell when they're cold, you can see shivering. Yeah, They're outside, they're trying to tuck a foot into their body. They go I, to roost earlier than the others as well yes. because they're cold. If it's a windy day, they're more likely to stay in Absolutely. than come out. And the other thing that I've noticed, which I have to stay on top of, is in the case of Pansy, if she's in the coop more because she's cold, she's not eating as much. And for yeah. a senior hen, that is not what you want happening. So I need to keep an eye on her. That's an issue I've got with Frankie at the moment, because okay. if anyone has seen my video on Frankie, she had an accident when she was a chick. So she's actually handicapped. Anyone who's listened to your podcast before will have heard me go on about Frankie because she's my little pet. <laughs> she's absolutely wonderful. But she's always been underweight. And I honestly think it's down to that accident that she she had. So she's never eaten enough. She eats enough to be alive right. and she's not underweight, but she's on the low side of normal condition. But she's going in earlier and she's staying in the coop much, much longer. And I'm having to encourage her. I take out hot mash, which is their, they're on growers pellets at the moment because none of them are laying and most of them are going through some kind of molt. So she gets a growers pellet with hot water on it in, in the morning to keep her warm and that encourages her to come out a little bit and it encourages to eat. And then yes. I give her another bowl of that in the afternoon just to make sure that she is getting enough in her. That's an excellent idea so because they do like the hot mash. So let's say that yeah. takes us into nutrition. Nutrition for geriatric hens. Now, a lot of this will have to do with, is your geriatric hen still laying eggs? If she's still laying eggs, it's okay to continue with layer feed. Yes. But if she is not, it might be time to change over to an all-flock. And I think you have a different type of food that's considered an all-flock over in the UK, correct, Fiona? Yeah, we call it growers, uh, a grower's okay. pellet. So it's higher protein, uh, slightly less calcium in it. We just talked about this with Dr. Rebecca and Reproductive Health 101. The danger with the calcium in a geriatric hen is it's more than her body can process and it puts her at risk of gout. Right. Yes. So the all flock or the growers is definitely the way you want to go if you can. And if you have younger hens in the flock, you would simply have oyster shell for them. That's all they need to meet their calcium needs. And we've talked about and that, that's what we do a yeah. lot, actually, with our flock. Because we breed chickens, we have a lot of youngsters and we've got to consider the youngsters as the prime chicken. So a lot of the year are actually given micro pellets, which is a tiny, tiny pellet form of chick crumb that most people would recognize. We then give a calcium supplement. So the laying hens have got access to that as well. But what we found with Gannett and what we're finding with Frankie as well is that they're eating a lot of those micro pellets and still going for some of the calcium, but not to the same extent as the laying hens. Yeah. So they're getting calcium to support their bodies, but not enough that they would overindulge to cause those problems. Right. Having the oyster shells out 24-7 for them is key. They know when they need them. There's some sort of intelligence in their head that says, I'm laying eggs. I need to eat some of these oyster shells. And they will eat them as they need them if they're not getting that calcium in the food. So I guess the rule that we've learned from you in the past is you feed to the very young, to the roosters, and at this point, kind of the very old. 
Right. So it's to the extremes. And everyone in the middle, if you have those oyster shells out, they can get the calcium they need that they're not getting in the food through the oyster shells. But you have right. to have them out at all times. Right. What you're saying makes absolute sense. You feed to the youngest because chicks and adolescents can develop kidney and liver problems with too much calcium. Yes. Your roosters and cockerels can develop gout with too much calcium. And the same for the senior hens and roosters. If you don't have any of those, you feed layers because you've exactly. only got laying hens. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So geriatric will take a little different turn in nutrition. What you're recommending is so true that we have to give them an extra push. If they're not coming out, they might need some mash. Before bed, we do a kale, corn, and oat mixture that can help keep them a little bit warm. I've been doing a lot of scratch Yeah, for that flock with the older girls in it. I give mixed corn for Frankie as well. Exactly. And I always, I always sneak her a handful just for her on her own. Corn yeah. heats the internal body temperature up. So these geriatric hens in the very cold, they need a little extra. So the corn can help. The carbohydrates, right, because it's going to give them extra calories and carbohydrates to raise their body temperature without giving them protein overload. And in winter particularly, have you noticed that older hens take much longer to molt as well? Yeah. So, yes. for example, Gannett, when she was young, sort of year one, year two, she would have that catastrophic molt and all the feathers would almost drop off at once and she'd look like a porcupine. But as she got older, by year seven, she was taking three months to complete from start to finish. And I'm yes. finding that with Frankie. I think she's been molting now for two full months. It hasn't got as far as a tail yet. Wow. So a little extra protein during that time can help those feathers. So nutrition leads to health. Yes. So what are some of the physical problems that we see with geriatric and senior chickens? Joints. Just like humans, as we get older, our joints start to get... I mean, my knees are a real problem now, to be quite uh -huh. frank. You're nodding at me. The listeners can't see it, but, you know, it's one of Have those things. Have you ever things. heard that meme where the lady goes, my neck, my back, my knee, my foot? That's us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. Us. That's me yeah. as well. <laughs> Every degree that the temperature drops, I have a new ache and pain. I get out of bed every morning and I think of that lady who does that. I'm sure oh. 20 years ago I could touch my toes, you know. But <laughs> toes? That's... I don't think I've seen my toes. <laughs> so really... chickens have the same issue because their joints are aging and yeah. they can get arthritis. And that's no joke. And actually, even if they haven't got the arthritis, you do see them moving a little bit slower and they can't climb the way they used to. So high perches are no-no. Low perches are a better idea. High coops as well can be a real problem, particularly if there's a steep incline for that ramp to get up. Yeah. So ideally, a low coop is the best solution. Or if you do have a high coop and can't replace it, replace the ramp. So it's a long ramp with or a gradual. very low gradient. It makes yeah. it much, much easier for them. But it also causes problems with preening because it can't turn around as well. And their back end can be a bit problematic. So we used to do spa days with Gannett. And I did actually publish <laughs> a video on that. And it was one of the very first videos I ever filmed. So the quality is pretty awful. But Gannett sat there quite happily with the hairdryer being dried off. And she's loving it. Absolutely loving it. 
They usually do. Yeah. They definitely have trouble. I mean, yeah. they can get arthritis. They get stiff, stiff. just like people do. Training is a little bit harder. Keeping an extra eye on them in general, just making sure they're able to walk up the ladder, if not adjust it for them. I do find that my older girls are usually the last ones off the perch in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. One of the problems I've got is the roosters because it's harder for them with a rooster on top of yes. them because obviously the rooster does what roosters do. Right. And I had to separate Gannett one or two times actually in year seven and year eight because I noticed when the roosters got on top of her she would take up to five minutes to actually stand up oh poor girl I know it really worried me so actually in the mornings I would go out and actually let them out I wouldn't let the auto opener come up on sensor it would open when I opened it manually and she would be kept back while he ran after all the other hens, got it out of his system, and then she would be allowed out so that that didn't happen. That's a good point. So if you have an aged hen, you perhaps don't want her with a younger rooster. Exactly. Or you want her with a, a rooster that is aged. Geriatric, and- yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> geriatric couple the together. The old couple, yes. That's the other thing that we were talking with Rebecca about. Basically, these chickens have trouble moving and just keeping an eye on how they're doing it, their daily routine, what they're doing every yeah. day and making adjustments. The fact that they can't preen very well, you probably want to do more frequent lice and mite checks on them too. Good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can notice it because they can't actually reach their oil glands very easily. So their feather condition starts to deteriorate. So it's not just that they can have a mucky behind. It's also just watching for the feather condition itself because they deteriorate far faster because they're not being oiled by the chickens as much. That's a good point. Yeah. We have to take care of these geriatric girls. They've come a long way with us. They're up in age and they're so dear in in our hearts. It's just better to give a little bit of extra care to them. You made a good point earlier. I'm not sure if everyone heard it. Extra bedding. Extra bedding, yes. That gives them a softer bed to lie in if they don't want to perch. And if they are perched, it gives them a softer landing if they have to jump down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm actually finding every single chicken I have now does not want to perch. (laughs) (laughs) I often wonder why they want to perch because to me, laying in the shavings would be way more comfy. My senior rooster, which is Casper, the Swedish flower. Now he is a special needs rooster because he had severe bumblefoot at one point in his life, but he never went back to it. Even after his foot healed, we put a perch in there. He wanted no parts of it. He wanted bedding. I mean, it's just that natural thing that the natural position for a chicken's foot is actually curled around in a claw shape around a perch. And that that was originally designed from evolution because otherwise they would have fallen out the trees when they perched at night. Exactly. But it's warmer for them on the shavings with Mm -hmm. a a good deep amount of shavings and all of their feathers covering their feet. And I think that's why mine like to do that. I mean, the Orpingtons have never perched. They actually refused to go in the coop one night when I tried to put a perch in. 
But the egg layers that we've got, the cream leg bars and the well summers, always perched until we move them into the avian influenza enclosure that we've got. When I say avian influenza enclosure, everybody does know that I don't mean there's avian influenza in the enclosure. It's yes. because yeah, we have to keep them in an enclosure because of avian influenza in the UK. But I just thought I'd point that out. My brain's going from random directions today. But now they don't want to perch at all, even though there's perches in there, they're not interested. They want to be in the nest box or they want to crawl between the perches and sit on the deep bedding instead. It's so much more comfy. I mean, it's smart. I think so. Yeah. My nankins have no interest in perching. I mean, they're tiny, but they like to make deep nests in the bedding and lie in the bedding too. They're so small, they'll need it for the warmth though, won't they? Probably. And I do have radiant heat in all of their coops because they need it they are so small yeah yes at what a pound and two ounces because the weights of one of the biggest cockerels right now i still love hearing george crow it's just (laughs) adorable it's very funny we were wondering how the neighbors would feel with five more cockerels growing and no one seems to mind it yeah The other thing which we should touch base on a little bit is there are supplements and natural vitamins that we can give our geriatrics. We work with Strong Animal Chicken Essentials over here in the U.S. They make an excellent product called the Chicken Elixir, and it's all natural organic herbs, natural vitamins, prebiotics that can help everybody. And you can add them to the water. Those are things that you can give your entire flock that will also help your geriatrics along the way. Absolutely. And find a product that works well for you. Just giving them a little extra because we want to keep them in such good care that we're reaching that geriatric level with them. Right. And probiotics probably go a very long way. Crop health, those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, because very much so. All their systems are slowing down a little bit as they age. So as far as I know, because in industry, chickens don't usually live that long. I don't think there are any really good scientific studies on geriatric chickens. I've never seen any. The only knowledge that I've gathered is from experience and from other people I know that got geriatric chickens. Exactly. Now I think of it, I've never actually seen a book on caring for older chickens, let alone a scientific study. Agreed. Right. And it's a real thing right now. It is. Partly because in the last 10 years, chickens have become a huge boom everywhere around Mm -hmm. the world as a pet. They're proven to be excellent companions to people, more than just a livestock animal that lives in the backyard that lays eggs. They have intelligence and emotional capabilities that we're just breaking the surface on. So where do we go with the geriatric chicken and what do we do to help take care of them? Everything that we can do from experience is just keep them as healthy as we can. Nutrition, heat, taking care of joints. Now the final thing we need to get into, flock dynamic, because there is a flock dynamic and where they sit in it is sometimes surprising. Right at the top, very at the top. This is what really surprised me when my first chickens got so much older, because I always thought that it went on size. And gannets, as you know, because we'd been breeding the Orpingtons for size, was the smallest by far. She was probably only two thirds of the size of the youngest Orpingtons that we had in the flock by the time, unfortunately, we lost her this summer. 
But she ruled that flock like you wouldn't believe. And even Frankie, who is cerebrally challenged, shall we say, so she is handicapped. Special needs. She's, yeah, she's, she's still head of the flock. I mean, she goes in that coop first at night, and then she stands in the door for half an hour and guards it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one gets past her for half an hour. And then all of a sudden she kind of gives up and goes, oh, I'm going to bed and lets yeah. the others in. Yeah. Oh, that's I funny. mean, over here we have Buttercup and Bubbles, who are my two Buffalo Orpingtons who will be turning seven this year, who roll the roost in a flock of cuckoo morans and barred rocks and a lake horn. So that should tell you right there, they're the oldest. And how they get away with that is it has to be down to age. It's phenomenal, it isn't it? It has to be. Yeah. Until recently, my oldest chicken was Carmelita, who was an American. I love the names that you choose. It's just <laughs> fantastic. I, I actually, thank you. I can't take credit for Carmelita. My sister named her. But Agatha Carmel- Christie is the, <laughs> one of the best names ever for a chicken. I like to name my chickens for notable women. And desserts. I have some really good names picked out for this year's chicks. I'm very excited about See, my names. I shouldn't chicks. laugh at that because I've got crumble custard, bramble, <laughs> and rhubarb. So right? I love those names. I've got the sweetie girls this year, haven't I? So there's lollipop, <laughs> jelly bean, licorice, marshmallow, nugget, and taffy. That's adorable. <laughs> I love so that. So cute. See, I love them. So Carmelita actually came to us. She was the last of my sister's chickens. I'm not sure if it was just because Swedish flowers can be aggressive. I'm not sure what happened, but Carmelita ended up being pecked in the eye. Oh, wow. And so even though she was the oldest, we had to remove her from the flock and set her up in her own run with an older rooster to keep her company because she lost her spot at the top of the flock for whatever reason. We still aren't sure who pecked her in the eye and how that happened. But if that happens, if you have a senior hen and something happens to make her special needs, she's not going to be able to fight to keep her place in the flock. No. And the thing is, as we all know, chickens do hide when they've got ailments and they are really quite brutal societal structure. And one of the reasons they hide those illnesses is because if they're seen to be weak, the weakest get shunned and pushed right. out. It really is very, very brutal. So if we've got a sick relative, we'll look after them. They have right. a sick relative. Cannibalize them, <laughs> kill them, throw them out. Yeah, it's it's not good. So if they get to that point, absolutely, you have to separate them. You have to put them in a separate coop, in a separate right. area and let them recover and right. have their own it- little structure on their own. That's what happened with Carmelita because her eye was forever altered by the pecking injury. Oh, so she, yeah. So her pupil was disfigured. So she could never go back in. So we retired her with Casper, the Swedish flower rooster who had the bumblefoot and they lived happily until the end of Carmelita's days in their own little run and coop. It's nice if you just have one coop to think you can always keep all your chickens together, but I think it's smart to be prepared. Sometimes you have to make special provisions for them. The other thing I want to bring up is we need to be watching the chickens and keeping an eye on them. I'm a big advocate of taking time with your chickens to watch their routine because you mentioned something really important, Fiona, and in that dynamic of the flock, they cannot show pain or weakness. So if they are feeling it, you're only going to see a very subtle change in their behavior. And it's up to us to see those subtle changes so that we can make the change. If they're feeling a little bit more arthritic, they're not going to 
Ooh, ow, like we do, we're going to have to see a little change in activity pattern and then adjust it accordingly because in that flock, they can't show that. They can't show, oh, my back hurts a little bit today because the rest <laughs> of the girls are like, get them, jump on them. So we have to really be vigilant with watching these geriatric girls and seeing if we see any difference in pattern. Like I have Buttercup. Everybody sees my videos that I do with her coming up. She's always the last one. She does not want to come out. She hates the cold. <laughs> hates it. And, like her said. Yeah. Right. But she's been like that her whole life. That is not different for her. That is just who she is as yeah. a chicken. So it's like, okay, that pattern is still the same. So like today when it is 15 degrees Fahrenheit, I went out and added even more bedding to my coops so that if she wants to stay in there, it's insulated even more. Yeah, I think just watching them and noticing subtle differences and adjusting our care. That makes me wonder something. And this is a question for Dr. Rebecca. I wonder if there's a point at which an anti-inflammatory would be something that you could prescribe for long-term use for uh, a geriatric like, chicken. Like yeah, that's a good point, yeah. actually. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess we'll get there at some point because uh -huh. chickens are living longer and longer and geriatric chickens will be a topic. Right. Because you want to take care of them. And as our companions, we will. They'll have their own set of needs. And if something like arthritis or achy joints could be helped with a simple daily anti-inflammatory, it just crossed yeah. my mind as we were talking. I guess I would have to do studies, too, on how those affect the liver and the kidneys, just as right. if you have to draw blood on dogs when they're right. on those to see... How would that affect the organs? And that comes back to no long-term studies on geriatric exactly. chicken. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, like how can we help them? Right. By keeping them more warm. That definitely helps. That can help. And in the summer, fans. Buttercup's the first yes. one in front of the fan in the summer. She hates weather extremes. That is the same for humans and birds and mammals. The ability to regulate your body temperature starts to abandon yeah. you as you age. Yeah, yeah, and very it, much so. I mean, Gannett used to actually crawl under the younger Orpingtons. It was almost as if she was trying to be a chick again, but she was just trying to get that little bit of extra warmth yes. that she knew she'd get from the deep feathers. A lot of that was down to the fact that she was having trouble preening herself and waterproofing and putting the oil coating on right. the feathers herself. And that is not just the behavioral changes, it's look for the differences in their condition as well. Yes. And actually, their smell changes too. Oh. It's the sense that they give off uh -huh. changes. And actually, that can be an indication as well that they're struggling to preen. So it's keeping an eye on if that. If they're not molting oh, as much good. also, their feathers aren't getting replenished as much. Yes. So they do feel the cold more because yeah. their feathers are more worn. Yes. And they can't get the oil on them. So it's all just, what can we do to make you feel more comfortable? Right. It's like the episode we put out a while ago, what makes a chicken happy? What makes a geriatric chicken happy might be different than what makes a younger chicken happy. Yeah. So paying attention to those things. Hot mash and lies in. Same as for humans. Yes, right? definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Fiona, thank you for coming on and talking with us about this because it's really an important topic that we all need to be talking about more and more as our chickens get older. Yeah, and very much so. If you want to see Frankie, head over to English Country Life, Fiona's YouTube channel. I do have them linked in our show notes. And if you want to see my methodology for giving Gannett her spa day, you can watch that too. How to wash your chicken. Yes. I think I called it something like caring for older chickens. I'll find it and link it. 
Let's take Thank care you. of these old babies because they need it. They do and they deserve it. Thank you, Fiona, so much. We'll see you soon. See you again. Bye. Bye. Okay, so it's about that time that we're going to crack some eggs. Cracking those eggs. Now, we're all over this week. So we had Fiona in the UK on. Right. We're talking about a Russian chicken. Yes. And our cracking the eggs is a really good recipe. And it is rice and scallion pancakes. Now, in a complete coincidence, today is the start of Chinese New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Year of the Tiger. So there is a traditional dish, Chinese scallion pancakes. Yes. This is very roughly inspired by them. I think I started off using a recipe for the Chinese scallion pancakes. I just changed it over the years. Yeah. So it's my own odd creation at this point. Scallion pancakes are prepared essentially as a dough, and this is really more of a batter. Right. So I took some of the original ingredients and ran with them. I love this when you have fresh chives in the garden, mm -hmm. or like right now I'm sprouting scallions. Yeah. And when they're small and fresh, they're delicious in this. You're going to use two eggs, some leftover rice, rice flour. Yeah. So it's automatically gluten-free. Yes. The scallions or chives, a bit of milk or non-dairy milk, whatever herbs you want to season it. Right. You don't need a lot because if your scallions or chives are fresh, they really put a lot of flavor in Right. And whatever flavor you're craving, those are the herbs that you use. Right. You know, a little bit of salt and pepper to taste and then a bit of oil to fry. Yes. You beat your eggs and your milk together. You add the rice, the rice flour, the scallions, the herbs, the salt, the pepper, and then you scoop it. And make it as a pancake. Onto a hot griddle and cook it the way you would a pancake. Yeah. They're delicious as they are. They're delicious with a dipping sauce. That, or you could even do this for dinner and just stir fry some vegetables. Absolutely. Put it with the pancake. That would be great. Yeah. We like to do different nights, like Italian, Mexican, mm -hmm. Chinese. This is great addition. This is very loosely Chinese, though. This is not authentic in any way. Yeah. But it's really good. Yeah. And it actually is a very great way to use up leftover carryout rice. Yeah. Well, it doesn't stay in our house because Ella eats it just as is. She is a rice monster. <laughs> she is. That's really funny. Yeah. I mean, this is an easy recipe. It is quick and easy. I mean, the scallions or the chives, whichever one, they kind of make it or break it. Yeah. I say this is a great thing to instead of serving rice with your stir fry, mm -hmm. the pancake with your stir fry. Oh, yeah. With stir fry sounds amazing. You still get rice, but in a different form. It right. just changes it up a little mm -hmm. bit and you're using your eggs. If you make the pancake wide and thin, you can sort of use it as a wrap. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Or you great. could make them... Smaller and wider like a fritter, either one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we went easy this week. Try it. Let yeah. us know what you think. I don't know why I don't make them more often because they're truly delicious. My mouth is watering thinking about them. It's really good. Okay, so now it's about that time that we're going to move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. Holly just a little bit joined in there. Well, I don't voice. have a lot of voice She happening. doesn't have a lot of voice. No. This retail therapy, we are excited about oh, today. Oh, yes, we are. And this is a company Sorry. that we're just starting to work with. And let me tell you, they sent us their product. Never going back. Okay, so today we are talking about Perfect Storm Footwear. And it's the women's high cloud chicken boots. Yes. Oh, they my do, goodness. Yeah, they do have a lot of other prints available. Yes. But, of course... We went with the chickens. We went with the chicken. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Of course we would. They have a ton of prints. And you can go on and they're fun. There's barnyard. There's dog. There's cat. There's, there's everything horses, you want. Yeah. But we are the chicken ladies. There are no sheep only because I would get them if they were sheep only. Really? Over yeah. the chickens, you think? No, I have both. <laughs> you could and go with one each. on each foot. 
I could. I like that idea. Well, okay, this is going to make you laugh. When the boots arrived, I immediately put them on to test them. Yeah. Well, I thought, this isn't going to give me anything accurate. So I took off the right boot and put one of my other barn boots on. Hey, that's the best way to test it. So the day we received the boots, I went out and did the evening chores with one of each boot on. That's the best way to test a boot. Here's what I will say. Substantially more comfortable than my usual barn boots, which are very nice boots. And they are definitely warmer. Okay. The one thing I noticed... I sometimes use boots in the winter that are made for spring or, you know. Just like rubber rain boots. They're waterproof, but they're not insulated. And I end up freezing. My foot is so cold that I can't stay out there as long as I would like. Right. So when these came, oh my goodness, game changer. I was freezing. It's been like 12 degrees here in the morning. Oh, yes, it has. My feet were so warm and cushioned. The coldest part is when I'm over at the family farm dishing up grain for the llamas and alpacas. Yeah. I'm standing still in the feed stall, and that's where my toes always start to burn. Yeah. I purposely only wore one pair of thick wool socks in these boots. The next morning, I went over to the farm, set up that way. My feet stayed warm. I could not believe it. The difference between these and my regular work boots, you're right, game changer is a good word. It's a game changer because there's so many boots out there that are waterproof, and your feet will stay dry. Right. But your feet will freeze. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, toes. so the number one thing is I've been using these every day and my feet stay warm. It's a new thing for me after years and years yeah. of going out there. The other thing is they have a cushion built into they them. They do. So it is like you're walking on a cloud. It's so much more comfortable to wear. I will be in barn boots anywhere between two and five hours a day, yeah. depending on the amount of work I have to do. And my feet feel amazingly good in these boots. Well, in the winter, the ground is frozen. Right. And it's hard when you're walking on yeah, the ground and something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you don't have the support. Your feet are cold. It's hard. Oh, yeah, they the hurt. ground is hard under your feet. It's really unpleasant. So the practical brass tacks part of this, they're neoprene, yes. which is waterproof, but then the ankle and foot is wrapped in a rubber layer, yes. which is also even more waterproof. And, and warm. A warm and abrasion resistant. It keeps them in better shape. Let's read something the company puts out. What makes the Cloud Collection special? Uh The Cloud Collection is a great choice when conditions demand rugged, warm, waterproof footwear. Yeah. That's one million percent true. Right there. The other thing is the neoprene stretches. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because I have great big calf muscles. Me too. And a lot of times I'll take my tall boots and fold them down because they're not comfortable against my calf. I put these boots on with two pairs of pants on because it was 12 degrees. Yes. And they fit me. Not only that, they have these cunning little handles on the I sides. You can tug them up into place yes. and they stay put. I love it. I'm sure everybody wears the comfy sock in the house. Right. And I have wool socks too, but sometimes I just go out in my comfy sock because that's what I have on. Yeah, sure. My okay. foot went in fine mm-hmm. and then I'm pulling it up over. It's over my pant leg or my pajama pant leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is awesome. Yes. The boot is rated to go to minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I would believe it. I was really, really impressed with that. I got a big laugh out of the fact they're called cloud boots because they want you to feel like you're walking on a cloud. Exactly, and it does. By far, in a lifetime, almost 50 years of wearing barn boots, these are without a doubt the most comfortable barn boots I've ever put on my feet. Barn boots normally don't go hand in hand with walking on a cloud. No, they do not. But these feel so good. And they do have decent traction, too. Yeah. Some of the boot brands don't have as much traction on the bottom as you want. Because the problem for me is slippery mud. Yes. That's, I mean, ice is bad, but slippery mud, 
that's what gets me every time. And these really do have good traction for that. And they're great with absorbing the shock of the frozen ground. Yeah, that's what you were saying before. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's like you have the cushion. You have the tracks on the bottom to keep you from slipping as much Yep. when you have a 36 degree day and everything's kind of melty mm -hmm. and then it refreezes. I'm telling you, they're comfortable. They're cute. They're warm. You can't ask for a better boot. I actually even wore them to test the comfort. You wore them here one day. I wore them here one day. That was, <laughs> that was Friday. Okay. Yeah. So Friday, I did all the farm work at my house, went to the family farm and did all the farm work there. Took a delivery of hay. Yeah. Stacked the winter hay in the barn. Yeah. Went home, showered, and came over here. Yeah. I still wore the boots over here. Yeah. My feet still felt great. And of course, them. Holly left them out. Nowhere near the chickens, out at the back right, door. Right, right. Yeah. I We're took definitely biosecurity safe here. Yes. And we haven't even said the best thing about, well, one more little thing. They also have a bigger than normal, it's like a little shelf on the back. Yeah. You can use your, say, steps. Yes. That's what I take, do. Yeah. That's what I do too. And I learned the hard way years ago, if you use one boot to get the other one off, it cuts down their durability. They don't last as long. Well, because you kind of lift up that sole. Right. When I went to Austin and I went to Allen's boots, because I'm like, okay. Oh, you're talking about cowboy boots. I'm talking about my cowgirl uh -huh. boots. I'm at Allen's and I'm like in heaven, like millions of boots. Then they have these little contraptions there. You stick your heel in it and you pull down the other part with your foot. Yeah. And it pulls the boot off your foot. That's a boot jack. And you know what? I paid like 10 or $15 after I paid, you know, hundreds of dollars for these boots. Right. And you get up to the register and I'm like, oh, yes, definitely. And I didn't really know it. I can't live without that thing. Oh, boot jack. Yeah. It takes yeah. the place of the step. But with these boots, when you come in, you just put them on the back of the step. Right. And they come right off without having to bend over. I should have a boot jack. had them for years and I don't. We have to go to Austin. Oh, okay. Just to get a boot jack. <laughs> anyway, we haven't even talked about the absolute best part of these boots. The colors. And the chickens. And the patterns. They've got the cutest chickens on them. Let's list what kind of prints you can get. You can get a floral print. Uh-huh. You can get the dogs, the cats, the funky chickens, and the distinguished horses. Or the barnyard fun style that has a bunch of different animals on it. And let's list those animals that are on the barnyard fun <laughs> style. Horses, cows, chickens, roosters, goats, ducks, sheep, bunnies, dogs, and even a cat. So we got the tall boots that are 14 inches. There's also a mid-length boot that's 10 inches. Yeah. If you don't like things up over your calf, go with the mid-height. So we have a link to Perfect Storm Boots in our show notes. If you're you like us, check them out. Check them out. Yeah, you can follow them on Instagram. Yes. I mean, we're not kidding when we tell you these are the most comfortable boots ever. I will keep saying game changer for me. I agree. I am used to having freezing feet out yeah. there in the winter. Yeah. And I was out there probably 35 minutes longer because uh -huh. my feet weren't frozen. Right. I wore them two days of very intense hard work yeah. on the farm, and I am beyond thrilled with how comfortable they were, how warm they were, how well they are holding up. I mean, stacking hay, the hay is coming in, it's hitting you in the boots, it's hitting you in the jeans. I was worried that the neoprene would get dinged up from the yeah. hay. Nope. No, they're beautiful. Easy clean, just wipe them and down. they're blue. They're blue, my favorite color, and they've got chickens. And here's the other thing. When they sent out the boots, we got them within a few days. The shipping was super quick, yeah. The shipping was yeah. super quick. And they're in New England. They know about cold weather. Exactly. So, so there you go. There's our honest review. And we love them. We love them. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Absolutely. Next week is our Valentine episode. We are profiling the booted bantam, sometimes known as the sable poot. 
We have a special guest for our main topic. We are going to be chatting with Camille and Bree. I'm so excited. Bree is the Leghorn rooster of Bree and Me fame. If you don't know about this, yeah. check these two out. You Amazing. Our recipe, since we're in the Valentine mood, is red velvet cupcakes. Yes. And our retail therapy is one of the cutest companies we've seen lately. Send a friend. Oh, my goodness. And I'm going to be hugging mine. Yeah. (laughs) Don't miss it. What should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them, too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.